Well, good morning to you. If you have a Bible, please turn to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I hope you enjoyed that Minnesota miracle last Sunday. Uh, There was a lot of uh, uh, pleading with the Lord before the miracle happened, 10 seconds before uh, that final play. Uh, My wife just said, oh, can't there be some type of miracle And uh, one of my children, after the play, told me, I hope it was okay that I prayed for that. Uh, So there's plenty of intercession in my home. So on behalf of my family, I would just like to say, you're welcome. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, we will be trying to do that again today. So I hope you you will enjoy another one of those today. That's fun times for Minnesota. Uh, We went afterwards and just looked at all these videos of people just rejoicing in their homes, just shocked at what had happened, and so cool to see that really just a minor snapshot of what will happen on that final day when we see Jesus Christ face to face and the joy and rejoicing of seeing Christ on that day man this what we have today is just a a mere shadow of that final day but man it's cool to enjoy the little shadows now uh, that we get here on this earth Uh, we'll, we'll be here in 2 Corinthians 5 starting in verse 17 reading through verse 21 Um, I'll first pray here and set it up, and then then we'll kind of work through it. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, Father, we just bless you. We just pause and and recognize that um, you are worthy of all real praise. That you, Father, are worthy of all true honor and glory and exaltation. You are beautiful in your being. You are radiant in your splendor. Uh, Father, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we see in the face of Christ your glory, the very glory of the one true God. And Father, our hearts long for that. That's what our hearts really long to see is you. And Father, we know our sin has cut us off from from seeing that clearly here in this life. But in Christ, we are brought back where we we can see your glory dimly now in the face of Christ. But man, we look forward to that final day when your scriptures say, We will see your face. The most glorious thing we've ever seen in our lives. So Father, as we run our races here on this earth now... Lord, just beset with difficulties and trials and, and, and troubles all around, we pray, Father, right here you would grip our hearts again with what is true, with what is lasting, with what will go on and on forever and ever and ever. And we thank you, Father, that while we're on this earth at this point, you have something for us to do. So will you grip us again here this morning, Lord, with your glorious mission to raise up worshipers for yourself from every tribe and language and people and nation on this earth. Our God will be praised. And we are so thankful we have a part to play in your end time worship, O oh God. So grip our hearts again, we pray this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. For the past couple Sundays here, we've been doing a little bit of a vision refresh just kind of recasting the vision for this local church. Why 
does this church exist? What do we believe God is calling us to do in this local church? Uh, If you drive a car in Minnesota winters, uh, you know that periodically you have to clear the muck from your windshield so you can actually see where you're, you're going. I spent two winters here in Minnesota without heat in my car. Uh, that was a trial of ungodly sorts and, and um, just impossible to spray my windshield with the fluid because it would just freeze and make everything worse. So I spent two winters actually rolling down my window, reaching out and trying to rub it, which led to frostbite. But uh, you just have to clean the windshield at times to see where you're going. And that's really the way it is with a local church. You function for a while as a church and you just get kind of cloudy as to where you're going and what what you're trying to do. So you clean the windshield. You remind yourself again of the vision of the direction of your your church. So we've been doing this little vision refresh the last couple of Sundays just to review what we've covered so far. Here's, Here's our church's mission statement. What do we aim to do here? We aim to make disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered community on mission for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. You can just leave that up there. What do we aim to do here as a local church? Pretty simple. We aim to make disciples of Jesus. And why? Well, simply because Jesus commanded us to do that in his great commission, Matthew 28. He looked at his disciples and he said, go and make disciples of all nations. We want to make disciples, but that begs the question, what is a disciple? And we would say that a According to the book of John, a disciple is a worshiper, a servant, and a missionary. A disciple is a worshiper of Jesus, uh, a servant like Jesus, and a missionary for Jesus. And, And that's what we want to aim to make in our local church. Disciples or worshiping servant missionaries. Uh, We want to bring unbelievers to faith in Christ, but we also then want to see believers brought to maturity in Christ. We want to work to bring people from A to Z in the Christian faith. And you can see in our mission statement there how we aim to make disciples. We aim to make disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered community on mission. There are three very important words right there, three disciple-making elements or or disciple-making priorities. They are gospel, community, and mission. And for the past couple of Sundays, we've just been focusing in on each of those three elements. Uh, Two Sundays ago, Pastor Thomas talked about the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news message about Christ. The gospel is the good news of what God has done through Jesus to save sinners like you and me and to restore his broken universe. And man, that gospel message is critical when it comes to making disciples. The gospel is the thing that God uses to save unbelievers. You hear the gospel, you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says you're saved from your sin and from eternal death. But that gospel message is also the thing that God uses to sanctify believers. We, we don't hear the gospel once, believe it, and then walk away from it. No, we need to feed on the gospel as believers. We get strong as we believe that gospel more and more. Now that's the, the first disciple-making element or priority there, the gospel. And last Sunday, I, I talked about the second important word there, community. 
uh, we, may aim t- we aim to make disciples through gospel-centered community. Uh, God created us as human beings to live in community with one another. It's a reflection of His own being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in close community with one another. And God created us in His image to live in close community with other human beings. And when you come to Christ in faith, you are actually redeemed or, or saved into a community. You are saved into the church. And God wants you, as a Christian, to, to live in close community or fellowship with the other believers in your local church, knowing and being known by those other believers, loving and, and serving those, those other believers, being together, not just in here on Sunday mornings, but also together out there to some degree, living life on life, as, as we like to say. And listen, when, when we commit ourselves, in, you do have to commit yourself to, to a biblical source of community. But when we commit ourselves to biblical community, being together with, with, with other believers in our local church, being together out there in the normal stuff of life, when, when we have a very gospel-centered community, we gather around the gospel. Guess what? You're making disciples of one another as iron sharpens iron. That's the first Two of those, those disciple-making elements or priorities, gospel and community. And here today now, we're going to look at the third and final disciple-making element or priority in our mission statement there, which is mission. I've got uh, just two points today as we think about mission. And the first point is this. Number one, we are new creations in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. Uh, The book of 2 Corinthians we'll look at here in just a second. It was originally written by the Apostle Paul. He was writing this letter, long letter, to a bunch of Christians who were living in a place called Corinth in in Greece. And at this point in his letter here in chapter 5, well, Paul is telling these Christians who they now are. Their true identity now that they are connected to Christ by faith. And, And Paul starts with this. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17... Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And just pause there for a couple minutes. And you just leave those verses up there. Those words right there, please don't rush past those. We, I think as Christians, we just rush past things like this way too quickly. Those are some amazingly encouraging words there from the Apostle Paul. That right there, that, if you are now connected to Christ, that is your core identity. That right there is who you are. I don't care how you feel today. I don't care what you see in your life today. That right there is, is who you are. Paul says there, if anyone is in Christ. And he's talking about a union there with Christ. He's not just saying if anyone just goes to church or if anyone just, just happens to take the Lord's Supper. No, if anyone is, is vitally connected to Christ by faith. 
If you are in union with Christ through a simple, living, childlike faith, you, you, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that Jesus lived and he, he died and he rose again to, to pay for your sins. You have now surrendered your life to Christ in faith as your Savior and, and as your Master. You are now seeking to follow Christ in faith. If you right now have a simple, living, genuine faith in Christ, then it does not matter who you are. It does not matter how bad you were in your past. It does not matter how despicable you might think you are. Guess what? Jesus saves sinners. And if you have a living, breathing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then Paul says right there, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. You, right now, where you sit... You are a new creation. You are a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say there that the old has passed away. And and he's just getting it there that the old you has passed away. Away that the the old you that 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 was dead and blind that the old you that was enslaved to sin and death the Bible says that the old you has been crucified with Christ the old you has been dead and buried with Christ that's the picture in water baptism you are dunked under under the water it's a picture that in Christ you have been crucified. You are now dead and buried in Christ, but thank God you don't stay under the water. That would not be good in water baptism. You would see Christ quickly uh, if that that was the case. No, you are then brought out of the water. It is a picture. The old is gone. The new has come. You have been raised to newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself today. It doesn't matter what you feel about yourself today. If you are connected to Christ by a living and breathing faith, you have been crucified, dead and buried. You have now been raised. The old is gone. The new has come. A new you, the brand new version of you. It might still look like the old you. That's okay. Jesus is now transforming you in your life, but you You are right now a new creation in Christ. Verse 18, if you look there, Paul says, All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. You didn't ultimately do this. You didn't ultimately seek out Jesus and find him. No, he's the one who seeks and saves the lost. He found you. And he brought you into the kingdom of God. And he has now reconciled you to God the Father. Don't rush over that word reconciled. Man, that word reconciled is like a $60 million piece of dynamite or something. That thing is amazing. The word reconciled means that two hostile parties have now been brought into a peaceful relationship with one another. When when a husband and wife, when, when they are estranged from one another, there's a hostility between them. But 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 that hostility is then resolved and they come back together into a peaceful relationship. Well we say that that husband and wife they have gone through reconciliation. They are now reconciled 
to one another. And please hear me. If you trust in Christ today, you are reconciled to God. You are reconciled to God the Father. That's you. But before you trust in Christ, your sin separates you from, from God. There's a hostility, the Bible says, between you and, and God. There's no peace between you and God. But in Christ, through faith, that hostility is gone. Christ took the hostility upon Himself. He took your hostility in order that you might have His peace with the Father. And you're reconciled at peace. If you look in your Bible down at verse 21, if you put that on the screen too, Ron, Paul later says this at the end of the passage. He says, For our sake, He, meaning God, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the most amazing exchange you'll ever see in your entire life. The one who was sinless and righteous, Jesus, well, He became sin in order that we sinners who were unrighteous might become, become righteous through faith in Him. There's an exchange that takes place when you put your faith in Christ. And the Bible says that His righteousness is now imputed to you. His righteousness, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, is credited to your account. And God the Father looks at you and He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, you don't always walk that out as a Christian. You may not have walked that out on the way to the church service this morning arguing with a husband or wife in the car. Christians still sin on occasion, but God sees you in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who you are. All that we just saw right there in those verses, that is who you are now. Your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. The old has passed away for you. The new has come. You are reconciled. You are a new creation in Christ. That is good news. If that doesn't hit you down in the affections, then keep working at it till it does because Christianity is not just a mind thing. It's intended to hit you in the heart. That should eventually hit you in the heart by the grace of God. That's really good news to be a new creation. Uh, my wife Molly and I would love to watch um, nature documentaries at night, um, fishing shows, whatever. I don't know. We're, we're weird. Uh, I don't fish that much, but we watch the shows. And we watched this documentary the other night, and there was a little piece in there on the Arctic woolly caterpillar. This is a crazy little beast, <laughs> this Arctic woolly caterpillar. At the start of the spring, it, it, it comes out and starts eating leaves like crazy, nonstop. But, but the warm weather doesn't last long enough in the Arctic, and it can't store up enough reserves to make a cocoon and become a moth. So at the start of the winter, it just curls up and freezes, solid, for months. And then the spring rolls around, and it thaws out, wakes up, and it starts eating again, man, like crazy. And this caterpillar can go through that for some 15 years, freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing and eating and eating. And finally, it has enough reserves in its little body to make a cocoon. It goes into the cocoon. It appears to die, that little tomb-like cocoon. 
but then it comes out again, a new creation flying. And listen, that's you. If you are in Christ, listen to me, you may have gone 15 years. You may have gone 50 years as a fuzzy little caterpillar on this planet munching on the things of, of this earth. But please hear me, if you now have a living faith in Christ, then you have gone into the cocoon, the tomb, crucified, dead, and buried with Christ. And you have come out the other side, a new creation, flying. And when Christ returns, uh, you will really fly, uh, seeing Him face to face. It's who you are, a new creation. Please hear me, if that's you today, you are loved You are loved. You are loved. God demonstrated His love for you in this, that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. You are loved. And if God gave His only Son for you, how much more will God give you all things? He loves you with a furious, relentless, non-stopping love. Man, let that hit your affections. Let that grip your heart. Christianity is love. It's a love relationship with a God who cares for you intimately and deeply and gave His own Son for you. You are loved. Man, that's point number one. Uh, We are new creations in Christ. You will never again be an old creation the new is come and it will never ever change for you we are new creations in christ but point number two we are also now ambassadors for christ we are ambassadors for christ man it's so good to be reminded of our identity in christ that we are new creations in christ but listen so many christians stop there in verses 17 and 18 but please don't stop there because paul goes on here in this passage and he fleshes out more of our identity in christ if you look at verse 17 again paul says therefore if anyone is in christ he's a new creation The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. Next slide. And, big and, and God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And God was entrusting to us, believers, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You can just leave that up there again. That right there, That is also part of your true identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just that you as a Christian were reconciled. No. The end of verse 18, God has also now given you the ministry of reconciliation. The end of verse 19, God has entrusted to you 
the message of reconciliation. The gospel. God has entrusted that gospel message to you. End of verse 20. God now wants to make his appeal through you to others who are not yet reconciled with God. God wants now to make this appeal through you to others, to unbelievers. And what does God want to say through you to others? Look at the end of verse 20. We implore you. We implore you. We beg you. We plead with you. We beseech you. You who are not yet reconciled to God the Father. We, we implore you. Be reconciled to God. Yes, God loves you. He sent his son to take the punishment for sinners like you and me. And God now says to you, it's there. I've done it. Receive it. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. God making his appeal now wants to. He wants to through us be reconciled to God. Do you know who you are now? Part of your true identity in Christ. You're not just a new creation. Don't just say that. No. Look at the start of verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. If you are connected to Christ by faith, then that's your identity. You are a new creation in Christ. And you are also an ambassador for Christ. That's who you are. Don't just pull verse 17 out of that passage because verse 20 also applies to you. Yes, you're a new creation, but you're also an ambassador. What, what does an ambassador do? Well, you can just think of, of an ambassador for the U.S. maybe, an ambassador to, to, to China maybe. What, what does that ambassador do? Well, an ambassador represents the king or the president. Uh, an ambassador is sent out by the king and that ambassador speaks on behalf of the king. And you are now an ambassador for the one true king. You're a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, you have now been sent out by Christ as his ambassador to speak on behalf of Christ. God now imploring through you, be reconciled to God. And that ambassador thing, it's a very active thing. It's a going thing. It's a speaking thing. When I was in my little church growing up, we had this little thing, this little club I was part of called Royal Ambassadors. You, you might know Royal Ambassadors. We, we would memorize scriptures. We would, we would do good deeds in the church. And we would get these little pens that would go on our little vest. I was a little Royal Ambassador there in the church. And we did lots of really, really good things there as, as Royal Ambassadors. But do you know one thing? We, we never ever did. There was no engagement at all with the lost. And that's what an ambassador is. That's what an ambassador does. It's God imploring through you to the lost. Be reconciled to God. It's not just about pens and doing good deeds in your church, which are really good things. But it has to do with the lost. You know, part of your core identity in Christ now is missionary. And we talk about that. We say a disciple, a mature disciple is a worshiper, a servant, and a missionary. But please hear me. It's not just someone who says those, that they are those things. 
Well, I just say I'm a worshiper, I'm a servant and a missionary. No, a mature disciple is somebody who's actively walking those things out. And if you really think about it like that, we've all got room to grow. Especially maybe in that missionary aspect of our discipleship, actively walking that out. That's a mature disciple is a missionary. That's a mature, that's mature Christianity and an ambassador. And listen, mission to the lost, is, it's not just something that Jesus wants us to do occasionally, just kind of clock in and clock out of this thing. No, mission is who we are now. Mission is who we are. It's part of our core identity just beside new creation. New creation ambassador, they go side to side. You don't get to have one and, and leave the other one. No, they go together. New creations and ambassadors for Christ. And man, we, we just want to learn here in our church, when we think about this mission aspect of our discipleship, we just want to learn here in our church how to walk out this missionary part of our identity and not just say we're ambassadors to the lost, but we really want to be ambassadors to the lost. Not, not just making disciples of other believers, but we really want to be a church that makes disciples also of, of unbelievers. So just think for a minute about this idea of mission. And really think about mission in our, in our own church context here. What does mission to the lost look like in, in our church family? How do we aim to, to make disciples of unbelievers? Well, let me just mention three things very quickly concerning mission in, in, in this church. Some things we believe about mission. N- number one, we believe mission is done best in community. Together with, with other believers. You know, if you look through the Bible, you almost never see Christians doing mission all alone. By themselves, in isolation from other believers. Now, Stephen did when, when God just kind of zapped him up next to an Ethiopian eunuch. So, it happens. You sit next to somebody on an airplane. You have an open door. Man, go for it. God just zapped you next to uh, this person on the airplane. Man, that's fantastic. But when you look through the Bible, mission is almost always done in community. Christians working together to, to, to reach the lost. Uh, Jesus sent his 12 disciples out two by two. Uh, Together in, in community. Uh, Paul later went out with Barnabas and John Mark. They went out together, community. Even Jesus. Even Jesus did, did mission. Even Jesus did mission with his other disciples right there. I'll pause. Even Jesus. Even Jesus did mission with his disciples all around him. Even Jesus did mission in community with, with his disciples. And, and we believe that's God's good design for us when, when it comes to mission. There, there's, there's strength in numbers. There's just strength in numbers. Man, a lot of Christians, I think they never really do anything with mission because they think they've got to do it all by themselves. And it's overwhelming. And so, so many Christians just end up doing nothing, terrified, and and just really feeling guilty, I think, a lot of Christians do. There's strength in numbers. 
When you do mission and community, you encourage one another. You pray with one another. You, you can plan with one another. You can labor with one another. You can go out with, with one another in different ways. And, and then you can all use your different gifts and, and abilities. Some person here might be terrified of actually sharing the gospel. But you could be part of a team that loves on people and opens doors where somebody else in your team can, can share the gospel. The best place in our church right now where you can do mission in community is in a life group. Our life groups are, they, they are designed to be gospel-centered communities on mission. You know, you think about our life groups or those little groups of believers out there. We want each of our life groups to experience very close gospel-centered community with one another, uh, uh, learning from one another, loving one another, serving one another, and so on, making disciples of, of one another. But if all you have in your church groups is community, just little Christian huddles all the time, that very quickly becomes stale and stagnant. It becomes like the Dead Sea. It had water coming in, it has water coming into it, but it has no water going out of it, and we call it the Dead Sea. And that's what a lot of Christian community turns out to be. Stuff going into that group, but nothing ever coming out of that group. And please hear me on this. God did not design us to be a lake where we just receive his resources, receive his blessings, and just pool them among ourselves. No, God created us to be rivers where we receive his blessings, we receive his resources, and we then send them out to the world. God saved a people in order that he might show his glory to these people and then show his glory through these people designed to be rivers. We often use the illustration of a car. I think Pastor Thomas came up with it. We, I usually plagiarize things from you, but I'll give you credit uh, for this one. Uh, this illustration of, of a car. If you think of a car, community is, is like sitting in a car with other believers. You're in this car, you're, you're talking, you're laughing, you're, you're fellowshipping around the gospel, having a good time. Please hear me. Nobody wants to sit in a car for very long out in a parking lot, going nowhere. That's just boring. It is boring. And that's what we turn a lot of Christian community into. It's Christians in a car out in the parking lot. No, we are designed to be a car of Christians together, fellowshipping, loving one another, but we're going somewhere. We have a mission. We have a place to go. And we believe that place we're aiming at is the lost, to see them brought into the kingdom, doing community on a mission together to win the lost. All of our life groups, they are supposed to have a mission focus, a particular group of unbelievers that they are working together to bring to Christ. A group of people, wherever those people might be or wherever they are, is a group of people out there and you're working together, you're praying, you're laboring together, to, hoping to see these, these unbelievers brought to Christ so they might find their, their joy in Christ. Now, some of our life groups are, are still just doing kind of service projects, just kind of serving people, which are good things to do, but that is not the design of our life groups. 
all of our life groups should be working to find a common mission focus. Not just serving people, but working to find avenues to bring them into Christian community and share the gospel with them. A, a mission focus. We, we encourage all of our life groups to do what we call both reactive and proactive mission. You think reactive mission, it's really just each member of a, of a life group um, reaching out to the unbelievers in their sphere of influence. So it's, it's the neighbors who live around your house. It, it's your coworkers. It's your extended family members just kind of reacting to what's around you in this life and seeking to bring those people into community with the other believers if you can, but seeking to, to bring those, those people to Christ, this reactive mission. But we also want to see in our life groups a proactive mission where all of our groups are proactively working together, looking around, praying, uh, planning, finding a group of people, and then, and then working uh, to bring that mission focus of people to Christ. It won't always work perfectly. I'll get to that in just a second. But grace gives you the freedom to try and the freedom to fail and the freedom to get up and the freedom to try and the freedom to fail. But in that mess, God opens doors. We've seen it happen already in our church. We want to do all that mission, whether it's reactive or proactive. We want to do as much as possible in community, just working together praying for one another's neighbors, or praying for our mission focus together, laboring together to see these people brought to Christ, mission in community. And that's our mission statement, Ron, if you'll put that up, the mission statement again. We aim to make disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered community on mission. Or as we say, we aim to make disciples by living life together on mission. That's one thing about mission that, that I would say. Uh, a second thing I'd say about mission is this, and uh, the mission that we, we might want to see in our church, I'd say this. Mission moves toward. Mission moves toward other people. It moves toward unbelievers. If you look at a lot of mission that's done in American churches right now, it's trying to attract the lost into us. Trying to attract them into our programs or attract them into, into our, our meetings somehow. And okay, that, that, that's fine. But mission means going out to them. Uh, Jesus, he didn't call us to be a come and see people. He called us to be a go and, and tell people. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And don't skip past that word go. That's a critical word. Being on mission means going. It, it means going out. That's what a missionary does, goes out to other people. An ambassador goes out to, to other people. That's what Jesus did for us. Thankfully, Jesus didn't stay up to heaven and, and wait for us to kind of seek and, and find our, our way to him. No, none of us would be saved. No, Jesus went out. Jesus went out to seek and save the lost. And, and now as a Christian, Jesus calls us to follow in, in his 
footsteps, Jesus says this in, in John twenty twenty one. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You, by virtue of your connection to Christ, you're a sent one. You've been sent. And where do sent people go? They go out. Bob Thune and Will Walker say this. They say, in Western culture, many churches and Christians have adopted a come-to-us mentality. We're here and available. If people want to know about Christ, we, we welcome them. And though this approach is common, it doesn't accurately reflect how God has treated us. The message of the gospel is that God moves toward us while we are running in the opposite direction. So as we follow Jesus in the mission, we don't merely wait for others to come to us. We take the initiative. We take the initiative. We take the initiative. We go to them. Although everyone isn't called to move far from home to share the gospel, all Christians are called to leave their comfortable routines and move toward their neighbors who don't know Christ. We are a going people, always moving toward others as God has moved toward us. Mission moves toward, moves toward other people. It, it, it means you, you don't wait for your neighbors to come to you. You go to your neighbors. I don't know what that is. Give them a cookie. Shovel their driveway. I don't know. Go, go to your neighbors. Go, go to your coworkers. Connect with them. There's a big Vikings game tonight. Invite one uh, to your house. Go after them. Invite them to your house to, to watch the, the Vikings game. Uh, go to your extended family members. Don't wait. Go. We aim to do mission and community. That's one thing I'd say. We, we believe that mission moves toward. And, and one final thing I would say about mission. Mission is messy. <laughs> mission is messy. It is messy. It is difficult. It is hard. I talked last week about how community is messy. Just rubbing shoulders with other believers. Your sin is exposed. Uh, When that happens, it's messy. But God works in and through that mess to mature you in Christ. Community is messy. But listen, mission is doubly messy. Oh my word, because now you're not just rubbing shoulders with believers in community. Now you're doing it around unbelievers. And their kids <laughs> at times. And all the drinks that are spilled on your carpet <laughs> at times. Mission is messy. Your sin will be exposed. You think your sin is exposed just doing community out there. Just sitting around a living room with other Christians. It's nothing compared to mission. When you actively start to pray and plan with other believers to reach the lost, you you actively begin to to go out together. You, You want to labor together to seek and save the lost. That will get messy at times. Very messy. Your sin will now definitely be exposed. Christians all of a sudden grumbling at one another. Can't find a common mission focus. Can't get our schedules to work. Your selfishness is exposed. Your consumerism is exposed. Isn't 
church just all about me and my personal Jesus? Your self-sufficiency is exposed when you realize you've gone a year trying to do mission without ever praying for it. Self-sufficient Christian. Um, Your sin begins to bubble to the surface. It's messy, so hard, difficult at times. And do you know one of the major reasons why mission in community is so messy or why just mission is so messy? You want to know one of the major reasons? Because Satan hates it. Satan hates to see believers actively working to go out to spread the kingdom of God. When we stay in our little holy huddles, I don't know that he resists us all that much. We might say, oh, watch out, the lion roams, Satan roams about like a roaring lion. I don't know that he is all that much because you don't wake a sleeping dog. But man, as soon as the church begins to rise up, wake up, and begin to plan and pray to go out, you will experience all kinds of fires in your Christian community. Your sin will be exposed. You'll be bitter towards someone. They'll be bitter towards you. And now you get to practice the one another verses in, in, in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you what, all of this trouble, all of this mess that shows up when, when you're trying to go on mission, guess what, guess what it, it, it wants to do to you? It wants to make you quit. It makes you want to quit. You try, it gets hard, and you throw in the towel, and you go back to doing nothing, just a a holy huddle. Can I encourage you? Just expect the mess with mission. Manage your expectations. Tell your groups, it's going to be messy, man, when we seek to go out on mission. You ever done a mission trip with other people? You go out and you think, oh man, this is going to be fantastic. We're going to go reach these other people for Christ. And you go one day on the mission field and you're angry at each other. You're fighting, you're bickering and stuff. Why do you think that stuff happens? Well, because we're sinners and because Satan resists mission. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Winston Churchill's famous line, he said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. Mission will be messy. Never give in. Never, never quit. God works in and through that mess to transform you. And here's the good news, is that Jesus, who told us to go and make disciples of all nations, well, Jesus, in that very same place, the Great Commission, what did he say? Behold, I will be with you always. As you, as, as we, Christ Redeemer Church, as we go to make disciples of the lost, Jesus is with us, working in and through the, the mess of mission to bring unbelievers into the kingdom. May God help us to continue. And that's, that's our mission statement in a nutshell. We aim to make disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered community on mission. We never said that would be easy, but we do think that's a great way to make disciples of both believers and unbelievers. And one thing we've done the past couple weeks as we've worked through this brief little vision refresh is we've asked someone to come up and give a testimony on each of those major topics, gospel and community. We heard from Ariel Swinson with gospel. We heard last week from Sam and Grace Jang on, on community. And here this morning, I'd like to ask Austin Benson to come up front. It was going to be Austin and Shannon, uh, I believe, but I think Shannon is sick. Austin and Shannon have been with us for several years, just serving in all kinds of capacities. We love the Vincents, and Austin's going to share a bit here uh, concerning mission. Thanks. Yeah, I've got Charlotte with me, my oldest. We're the two that are left of our 
family. You can come up here if you want. She asked if she could be up here with me, so she can be be a little distraction for us or <laughs> a little bit more pleasing to look at than me. <laughs> so <clears throat> my first thought when Levi asked us to speak on mission was, um, why us? You know, I, I thought maybe it was just that we were in life group together and and we were an easy ask, and maybe that's the case. So I'm, I'm looking at you, Levi. Uh, <laughs> you don't need to tell us now. Um, but what I can tell you is maybe just a little history of what, for Shannon and I, um, what mission used to mean for us. And, and I've got notes here. Um, she put some of her thoughts in here, too. So, you know, you'll, maybe you'll be able to pick out what was her and what was me. Maybe not. Um, but uh, what I can tell you is, anyway, a little history of what it used to mean for us what it means now and, and maybe what I hope to see in the future, both in our family and in our church. Um, so I'll start with myself. I grew up in a church-going family where I heard and responded to the gospel in my childhood. Um, growing up in the church was certainly a blessing, and I'm thankful for it. Um, but to me, missions used to mean just like missionaries in foreign countries, um, slideshows on Sunday evenings sometimes, um, and missionary was just one of those funny church words that you didn't hear outside of, of you know, the church setting. Um, and so I, I remember uh, also learning of, like, the Great Commission, but I didn't really have a, that big of an understanding of the significance of it. And that's been, I'd say, something even in the last year just through the, the teaching here that I think I've understood more is just the centrality of it. Um, so the, <clears throat> the call of the uh, Great Commission and for people to called the full-time ministry, always looked to me like a, a personal thing um, in the kind of the church that I grew up in. It always felt like something that it was you on your own would go and make disciples. Um, I don't think it was intentionally communicated that way, but that's, that's how I heard it just uh, growing up in the church. Um, Shannon grew up in a non-Christian home uh, as a young girl. Um, her mom was, was being drawn to Christ, but um, was still kind of seeking answers. And... Um, through that pursuit, Shannon was invited to an Awana program where she um, learned about Jesus and, and uh, came to faith in him. Um, I think she was in around fifth or sixth grade at that time. Um, and then she learned about missions and reaching people not only overseas but also in the, U, in the U.S. Um, and she even went on some, some mission trips and served with others. And I think to her that's, that's a big part of what mission was is it was just thought of you know, going on trips or doing kind of short, short things like that. Um, after she became a Christian, her, her mom and dad both uh, came to Christ as well, and she saw how the church could uh, pray and show love by gathering around them and discipling them as a family. Uh, but she never really felt connected with her peers as much, and she never bonded that closely together with, with uh, um, her peers around the gospel in the church that she grew up in. So although we didn't know each other uh, at the start, I grew up in Wisconsin and Shannon grew up in Michigan, we, we uh, both went to Michigan Tech um, to study different engineering programs in the fall of 2002. And uh, by God's, I think, providence, both of us ended up uh, getting involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship there. And um, as a Christian student organization on campus, and um, it, it took not that, but actually linear algebra class together for us to meet, but that's a, a little different story. Um, <laughs> But regardless, uh, God used our involvement in InterVarsity, to, I think, to kind of refocus and, and expand our understanding of mission. 
Um, and it, it was actually as we were putting these thoughts together that we started to kind of reflect on that and go, you know, there's, there's something that we're kind of drawing back to that I think we had lost uh, early on in our, our married life. Um, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so there on campus, uh, kind of the, the ministry was envisioned to be a group of believers who would meet regularly in the dorms or on different off-campus sites, um, but who would be in community together uh, for mission. And um, they called it witnessing communities, and it was kind of a new concept to me from growing up. I think it probably was to Shannon as well. Um, and it was really just living in daily proximity with other believers um, whom you could pray with and disciple um, and who you could introduce others to join in to know Christ and to learn learn more about him and, and uh, to be reconciled to him. So I began to see and see the value of, of this type of community together. So we'll fast forward a couple of years. We were married uh, in the fall of 2007, and for the first several years of marriage, we lived in St. Paul on the west side in a tiny little duplex apartment together. Um, we were members of a church in Roseville at the time and, and members of a small group as well. Um, mission was not something, though, that we did commonly as a small group together. Uh, it was more just Bible study and prayer. Uh, I, th- I think that's probably a pretty common experience in, in our, our American church. Um, but we began to have our eyes open to what serving together as a church looked like through some church-wide days that were set aside at the church that we were involved with. Um, although for us at the time, both the time and the distance, um, it was a little bit further of a drive up there, um, made, made it feel like a hindrance for us to really get involved. And, and it was a big enough church we didn't really feel like we were kind of connected in tight with the people that we were serving with. Um, so at that time in our life, we knew very few of our neighbors um, other than our landlord who lived next door and then one other neighbor, Mark, who lived on the other half of our duplex um, during part of the time that we were there. However, during, or however, with our duplex mate, Mark, we began to see a spark of um, kind of hearkening back to what that experience at college was like, um, where we could really just welcome him in and love him. It looked an awful lot like just being a friend and loving him as a neighbor, um, listening to his story, watching football games together, which I, you know, some of us will have that opportunity this afternoon, um, and just sharing a meal with him. And it also um, looked a lot like inviting him to join us on things and to share and to seek um, to interject the gospel in timely and helpful ways. I wish I had a grand story about how Mark came to faith late one night, but that, that never happened, at least not to our knowledge. Um, but I think it opened our eyes to um, that, that idea of kind of proximity and interaction with others. Um, and it, like I said, it kind of harkened back to some of the, the time at college where it was kind of this idea of, of proximity with other people, both believers and, and non-believers, um, although it, the, the two didn't come together yet at that time. So in 2010, we bought a house here in Woodbury, and we began to meet our neighbors. Uh, it still wasn't easy, but for us, um, it kind of seemed like we were on a little island here on our mission. Um, so time and distance, and then uh, children made mission challenging at times. Um, at the same time, I think God was pressing. He was really beginning to press on Shannon and my heart, um, a burden for both our neighbors and our coworkers. Um, and we began to pray about it, and we started to ask God whether he was leading us to um, find a church that was a little closer to home, um, somewhere where we could serve with neighbors and, and also invite neighbors to join in and, and allow those two groups to, to mix and mingle. Um, so God answers those prayers by, um, I think, pretty clearly to us and deliberately leading us, us here, and we're thankful to him that he did. 
Um, it's been a blessing. Uh, we were re- reaffirmed in our decision. Uh, we got a chance to talk with Brett a little bit, and he shared with us about a book that um, that God had been kind of working on his heart through called The Art of Neighboring. It's a pretty short, practical book about just loving your neighbor and really just fulfilling that call, that real simple teaching of Christ to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and it affirmed to us that God was also fueling our heart for our neighbors. Um, and so then we also, as we were coming here, we began to meet more people who uh, attend here or are members here who are our neighbors. And so it was kind of exciting for us to see that and to begin to maybe envision a little bit more about what that might look like. Um, and, and also even to see, like, the Brennans moved into our neighborhood. We didn't know them. They didn't know us. And they end up living six houses down from us, um, which is totally a God thing. Um, uh, so then we became more and more aware of the things that God, things and, and people that God um, had placed around us. And we noticed, like we would notice when a new neighbor would move in and, and maybe try to find a little extra time to stop by. And, and it took some planning at first, but I think Shannon and I um, started to get on the same page where we would, we would both be thinking and, and noticing things together and just communicating about that together. Um, so we would maybe bring a treat or introduce ourselves. We'd invite people to stop over. We'd make ourselves uh, maybe a little bit more available than we had before, um, uh, even just with, with letting, you know, neighbors come on over or, or you know, the, um, some of the kids come on over and play. And, um, Shannon will tell you that this stretched our marriage, and I'm, I, I, I would believe her. Um, I'm a little bit more the extrovert of the two of us, um, and when we'd have people over... Um, it would be hard on Shannon at times, and uh, she can she can certainly be social as well, but she just needs a little more time to rejuvenate. So there certainly were some trials and some you know some struggles for the two of us. Um, you know, she learned to have snack foods available, and um, I think she put on here that God challenged her to be willing to kind of rethink her schedule a little bit and be willing to be a little bit more flexible on some things. But we learned that being available didn't mean that that everything had to be perfect. It just meant. Um, Sometimes just setting up chairs in our driveway on a nice sunny day, and you know, seeing people and say, "Come, you know, come on over, let's talk." And, um, but one thing that I think we were both relieved to find is that loving your neighbor doesn't have to be this over-the-top, elaborate thing. It's just um, praying, seeking opportunities to show kindness and forgiveness, uh, care and compassion, and then something that I think that we had missed from our early days at InterVarsity and, and early marriage life was that it can be a group effort. And in fact, I think. Even as Brett mentioned this morning, it should be a group effort. Um, I, I jotted down a note here. Just as we were singing singing songs this morning, I, I started to um, just hear the harmonies, the different you know different voices at different different pitches, and it started to it, it kind of hit me like that's what mission is for us as the church. Is you know somebody might be singing you know down in the bass, and somebody might be singing up in tenor and soprano, and you know every every pitch blends. Even some pitches that are a little bit off, they all add to um, you know, just the praise and glory of God. And um, so it kind of just, I I just, I felt like that was um, from God this morning, just to to think on that and reflect on that. And so um, anyway, that's just, to me, that's an analogy, I think, for for our mission together. Um, So we would not have gotten to know as many of our neighbors, I don't think, if it hadn't been for our involvement in a life group. Um, uh, So for one summer, we focused together as a group on just getting to know our neighbors. Um, we had regular picnics at, at each family's house, and the family hosting was in charge of inviting their neighbors. Um, and the, the hosting life group would come over, and they'd just help out. They'd 
uh, grill food and get to know people and just um, take care of all those little details of taking the trash out and making sure that you know plates of food and stuff are out there and if anybody needed anything that it was taken care of. Um, uh, it was kind of amazing just to see how as a group we got to know people and then neighbors got to know not just one family but multiple families from our church and just to see um, I, I think really God's working through that and, and I think he's continuing to work through that even now. Um, so then it came full circle. Our neighbors started having their own get-togethers and inviting us. Um, our neighbors knew our faith. They knew they could ask any questions that they had. Um, we were willing to just love on them and share the gospel. Um, sometimes it, it's harder to share the, you know, the full story. It takes time. It takes patience. Um, we, you know, we've learned that sometimes you can try to force it and it doesn't, doesn't go very well. But um, just uh, we found that being available is huge, that um, you know, just seeking um, God's spirit's leading is huge too. Uh, through the meals, we had some neighbor friends um, come to our life group. Um, they were able to start reading the Bible with us and asking questions um, and also to share their story with us. Um, sadly, they didn't end up staying in our life group for um, a long time, but um, they still continue as close friends with us. And um, that was it was scary for us, too, because we were both, I think both Shannon and I and, and other friends of ours here at CRC and, and this family, we were all kind of nervous about um, what this would mean that, you know, they were taking a step back. Um, however, I think God provided a situation where we were able to talk about their their intentions, and, and um, even since that time that they've pulled back, our friendship with them has, has uh, I would say, even grown stronger. And, you know, so God's not done yet. Um, we both honestly have um, strong fears about losing friends over inviting them to join us. Um, but God has used this experience to show us that some of our fears, um, to, to calm or to reveal to us some of our fears and also to build our confidence in him and to grow our love for our neighbors, especially those that we've grown, grown close to. Uh, from this, God challenged us that our neighbors are among those that he's called to reach the gospel. Uh, but However, we continued to feel a tug at our hearts. Something was still missing. We couldn't quite shake this feeling as a, as a group um, that from our comfortable suburban life trying to share Christ with only comfortable suburban neighbors um, was all that God had in store for us. After all, um, that doesn't seem to be where we find Christ in the scriptures. He um, tended to show up more in places that were a little bit darker. Um, so as a life group, we were still searching for a mission direction that, that we could focus on together while, while not neglecting that call to love our neighbors. So that kind of stayed in the background. Um, and it wasn't easy as a life group to, to reach that direction, um, to focus together. It was hard. There were disagreements and misunderstandings um, at times. And we had to learn how to tell each other what we were thinking um, and really get to know one another as a life group. And after much searching as a life group, we started working, on an, working with an organization called Refugee Life Ministries this past summer. Um, Refugee Life Ministries connects groups like our group with families who have recently arrived to the U.S., um, from uh, refugee camps. Um, so the family that we were paired with this fall was a little different spot from most. Um, they had been in the U.S. for over a year, so normally we would welcome a new arrival, but this one was a little different. Um, they'd spent 12 years in Kenya as refugees from Ethiopia, from one of the tribes in Ethiopia that has um, been persecuted by um, uh, different groups there. Um, 
we actually think they're Christians. They, you know, they certainly um, would profess faith in Christ. Um, and they're actually involved in a church in St. Paul. So it was a little different to us, too. We're, you know, trying to fulfill this call to reach out non, non-believers. And, and um, we're still kind of waiting to see how God might use that. I, I'm sure he's got a purpose through that. Um, um, but they're still called to make disciples. Um, you know, that call doesn't stop. I think Brett alluded to it this morning, that it doesn't stop with just uh, making converts. It's really, it's the full range of, of you know, people following and, and um, then replicating. Um, so we're still learning how um, our relationship with his family answers that call. I think we also wrestled through through that thought of the Great Commission and not always being clear where a neighbor is in their faith or, or um, you know, this family too. Um, at the end, we realize that it's beyond just making converts. It's it's to make disciples. And um, I've become more and more convinced that apart from the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit, new disciples can't be made and believers cannot grow. Um, we can't do any of this on our own. Uh, in the future, I hope that mission means fruitfulness for us. I also hope it means boldness, um, partly because I don't feel that we've been all that fruitful yet. Uh, partly because I don't feel like we've been all that bold yet. I just feel like we've been um, sensing a need for the scriptures to be heard and wrestled with. I don't want to just stop at knowing and loving the people around me. I want them uh, to to help them know and love Jesus. Um, So I'm wrestling, or I'm recognizing more and more that we can't do anything of value on our own. Um, So we need need partners both with the rest of the body here at CRC, um, working together in ways like life groups and other groups here at church that uh, meet, that um, help connect people to Christ. And more importantly than that, we need Jesus. I don't want to discourage you. This is, I'll wrap it up here. Um, lately, I feel like the call to fulfill the Great Commission is more impossible than I ever thought. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus commands us to go and make disciples, which seems to be no easy task. Um, this command has, has started to sit on me a little bit more like the command Jesus gave to his disciples during the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke 9.13. Um, so I'll read it here for you. It says, Now the, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, uh, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside and to find lodging and get provisions, for we are in a desolate place. But he, or Jesus, said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no, no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. We know how the story ends, but it's been hitting me lately. Jesus um, called his disciples to give the crowd something to eat. It's impossible. They, they didn't have it in themselves. And I wonder if, if they thought that he was joking when th- he said that to them. I, I think I probably would have. Um, but in the same way, he says to us, go, make disciples. It's our mission. It's, it's the single focus that, that he uh, left his church. And I think we've been learning together to move forward in confidence, not because we have some great way in ourselves to follow this command, but um, because of how his commissioning for us ends. And I, I really appreciated that Brett ended his, his message this morning with the same thought. Um, the end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always um, to the end of the age. So with confidence in Christ and not in our own abilities, I hope and pray that um, working together, 
moving forward, um, that for us, mission will look like doing the impossible, really just through Christ, uh, relying on him, and with the goal of reaching uh, this world for his uh, kingdom. So that's what I hope that mission looks like for us moving forward with uh, Jesus as our Lord. So thanks for the opportunity to share. Sorry, it's a little little bit long, but it's uh, <laughs> thank you. So good. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Amen. So good. So good to hear from everybody. Really grateful for the testimonies. Thank you, Austin. Tell Shannon we missed her. And um, I'm glad when the Benson or the uh, Brennans moved into your neighborhood, you were able to bring them to Christ. So uh, it's so good to, good to hear that, Levi. Uh, man, that, that's fantastic. And I love just the way Austin ended with... Um, yeah, you, what, what a great comparison. Jesus looks at his disciples and said, go feed the 5,000. We don't have anything. <laughs> How are we going to do that? He's commanding the impossible. And that really is kind of the great, great commission. Go. Go make disciples of all nations. Go, Christ Redeemer Church. Make, make disciples of, of the East Metro. He's commanding the impossible, but he's the God who does the impossible. There's that famous prayer by St. Augustine where he said, Oh God, command what you will. And give what you command. He's the God who commands us to go and make disciples. And he's the God who will give what he commands. As we just simply get up in obedience to his command. So uh, we are running a little late this morning. We're going to pray. Let me, let me remind you of, of just a couple of, an, of announcements very quickly. Um, we are starting up an, an all church prayer again on Sunday nights. The last Sunday or the fourth Sunday. What have we said? Last Sunday of every month. So it's going to be this next Sunday. Uh, we're going to meet in the library over here for an hour. We think it's 6.30 to 7.30, but now we can't remember what we put on the calendar. So look at your past email. Look at the new email to come out. But man, I would love if you could come and, and pray with us. We will not have childcare, So we've done that in the past. We're going to just scale things down a little bit. So, But there will be a time to pray. would really ask you to pray. I'm going to try to get some of my life group members uh, over here to pray. And, and that's a great thing, life, mem- or life group members, to, to do that and just rally together and pray about making disciples. So that's next week. Um, and then we have new Sunday classes coming up in just a couple of weeks. You should have that on your bulletin. Really encourage you to look through those Sunday classes. One of the classes is called a Life Group Lab. So it is for anybody who wants to learn more how to do this life group thing, how to make disciples through community and mission. Um, It's not just for newcomers, though it would be really good for newcomers, but it's also for life group members now. We all just need to get better at making disciples through gospel-centered community on mission. So I would really encourage you to think through um, uh, that um, Sunday class. Let me pray first, and then I'm going to have you stand and, and give you the benediction. Father... We just thank you for our time together. We thank you, Lord, for this trajectory on which you have put this church. A trajectory to make disciples an impossible command. But we do believe, Father, you are a God who does the impossible. And and Lord, help us. Um, We're not good at community sometimes, at just getting in one another's lives and knowing one another and and being known, we're very compartmentalized and very isolated people at times. Help us, Lord, uh, to really commit ourselves to, to biblical fellowship. And Father, will you just keep energizing us for mission. I thank you for the reports that we've heard 
of unbelievers now studying the Bible, of unbelievers who have now been baptized, uh, and various things through the ministry of members at Christ Redeemer Church. We thank you, Lord, for these testimonies, and we just trust, Lord God, that we will hear more and more of these um, as we, we move in the days ahead. So we commit this to you. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand and receive the benediction.